nice thing about antelope is like if you blow one stock, you can just go to another. It's like more action-packed really than anything else. Since I loved horses, I obviously drew horses all the time, you know, crazy horse girl. <laughs> but I always really loved drawing wildlife like elk and deer. Freaking get out, it's 90 freaking degrees. You're crawling on your hands and knees and the rocks on the soil are literally burning your hands like a stove. Like it freaking hurts. Like she rolled three times or four times down the freaking ravine in the snow and then ended up on her back, belly up. And she was stuck in like this hole. People try to come off as perfect. And I hate that because hunting is so far from perfect. This is Lydia Smith and this is the Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it. Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer. I'm like, well, you see that bush right there? (laughs) There's your bathroom. (laughs) My dad wears a Levi jacket. He sits in front of a sagebrush and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless in everything you do. Don't crap out. Go back to the truck with excuses or whatever. Okay, assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside. Just get outside and go. Because once you do, it's all gravy from there. Hey, this is Zach Griffith. This is Hannah Barron. This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey, guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. What's up, guys? This is Chad Mendez. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative. It's brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So y'all getting on to today's episode, I'm sitting down with elk caller, horseback hunter, pronghorn chaser, artist, little bit of everything, Miss Lydia Smith. Um, Lydia, thanks so much for hopping on. Thank you. It's- it's going to be fun. So. <laughs> well, you know, like we were talking earlier, uh, you are absolutely one of the very first people I ever met in, you know, in the hunting industry. Yeah. And I, I just couldn't believe that I hadn't had you on the podcast. I was just going through and I think I was looking at one of your pictures or I was watching one of your stories and I'm like, 
holy crap. Why have I not had her on? So I'm glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, me as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember um, back, I mean, gosh, was it four years ago now at this point? Three years ago? I don't know. It was was a long time ago. Yeah, I was at the ISE show. I think it may have been four years ago at this point. Was that my first time out calling at Sandy, I think? Yeah, and you you had won that competition. Yeah, that's the one I won, yeah. My very first time entering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I came oh. out. Uh, I thought it was Hunt Expo. I didn't know where I was going. Because <laughs> um, somebody told me, like, you have to go to the you have to go to the the hunting show in Salt Lake City. I'm like, okay. And I, I just Googled it and that was the one that showed up first. So I bought tickets and uh Perfect. and you know it ended up working out because I got to I got to meet Christy at that show. And um she was that was when she had her busted up leg. Yeah. And uh <laughs> That was just like that whole that whole trip was such a such a kick, and then she kind of she and Rocky kind of adopted me, and that's how I met you. Um, and it's just it's just funny thinking about like from there then to now, like walking in, I was just like some random dude. I didn't know anybody. I was just like, please, please, sir, will you come on my podcast? Like (laughs) Oliver Twist. But yeah, and so uh, uh, we were all watching the Elk Calling competition and you absolutely killed it that year. Um, <laughs> and that, that was your first time, right? Your first yeah. competition you've entered. You had just started calling. I, but- I had only been calling for like, what was it? Um, when was the show? Do you remember what month it was? I feel like I'd only been calling for like a few months. It it or was actually like a month. It was like late spring, early summer, I think, wasn't it? Because that's when I went to the Hunt Expo, and that's when I met Rocky, and he was kind of like teaching me how to call. And then a month later was the ISE, so it was a month I'd been calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> Rocky Jacobson has a has a tendency to just adopt random people and teach them to to elk call. it's awesome it's super cool he's very helpful (laughs) well i think you know i think i've told this story once or twice on the podcast before but i remember it's so funny because at that show like i i generally knew who christy was and so i kind of sought her out because i knew she was at the show i'm like oh if i could get her on the podcast that would be awesome so i i kind of sought her out and she was showing me around the booth and i had no idea who rocky was or like like just the history there right he was you know he was just some guy at the booth and I'd been talking with Christy and uh, she went off to talk to someone and, and I started talking with Rocky and he's like, Oh, well let me show you a few things. And uh, yeah. like I got, got a lesson from the master, you know, himself. Yeah. Um, Same way for me. I had no idea who he was. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. I probably like back then I probably, it's a good thing I didn't. Cause I would have been like super intimidated to go up and talk to him and be like, Hey, could you like show me a few things? Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh man. But yeah, there's some videos from back then, uh, floating around on my Instagram. I'm going to have to go, I'm going to go have to hunt the hunt those down and, and share them again. Cause there's some good ones from that trip. But, uh, so one thing I always like to start with is just a little introduction about yourself, kind of who you are. How did you, 
how did you get introduced to all this hunting and the outdoors and, and elk calling, all of this stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, since I was like really little, I've always had like that really big passion for the outdoors, but I never grew up in hunting. Um, it was only like camping. My dad would take me shooting um, a lot of the time. Uh, but I also, I always had like a really like big interest in like the way that the mountain men and Native Americans lived, how they provided for themselves. It was always like a really big interest of mine as a young age, at a young age. And when I turned 16, I saved up my money and I did the freaking eight to 10 hours of whatever it is online. <laughs> like, um, and I finally got my hunting passport. Um, but it took me another two years to actually get into it because I had to basically do it myself. It was really hard to like know where to start. Like, I don't know where to go to find deer. Like, like, I don't know what they do. It was very, like, it was a very, very big learning experience, but like my passion for it was just strong enough that I, I found a way basically. And it's been really cool. Like my family's like supported me for the most part. I mean, they don't like it when I'm <laughs> gone by myself all the time, but, uh, They've done like really awesome with the wild meat that I've gotten. We've made tons of awesome like recipes and meals from those. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into hunting. And then like, again, from a young age, like I've been really into horses and those have been a big part of what I do as well. Um, I've hunted with my horse a few times. It's been super fun. And then my artwork, that's another really big part of who I am, which I've also done since I was really young. And that and the hunting industry have been able to like combine and basically kind of explode in a sense like my art started to like kind of drift toward wildlife when I was about 16 or 17 and then once I started getting into the hunting industry I did a few banquets with like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation which was really really cool um and that's just kind of where I started growing and learning and my art has just been a huge part of who I am not only just myself but in the hunting industry so that's kind of uh, a short cap on like who I am and like how I got into it. So, I mean, any other questions, I'd be happy to answer. So anything more specific. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you have like so much going on and that's, yeah. uh, that's one of the the cool things. Cause I mean, you've got your, your wildlife artwork, you've got the whole, you know, hunting from horseback kind of, kind of thing going on. You, you are, you're an elk caller. You're, yeah. uh, you're a self-taught hunter. Like that's huge. That's so much stuff. It's amazing. It's definitely taken a lot of work, like a ton. <laughs> so, so I didn't, you know, and that's something I didn't, Ooh, <clears throat> there goes my voice too. Uh, that's something I didn't, I didn't realize either kind of when I, when I had met you is that you like, you didn't grow up doing this like with granddad or, mm. you know, you know, you didn't have your dad, you know, taking you out to hunt upland game or deer on the weekends and, and stuff like that. You kind of figured this out yourself. Right. I think the closest my dad ever got to like teaching me how to hunt is when I was like really young, we'd go camping and he's like, oh, I'll show you how to set a trap for squirrels. And so I learned how to do that. But that was basically it. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> um, so getting into it then. What were some of, you know, you took, you took your, um, you took your initial hunter's ed, your hunter safety, all of that stuff. You know, you got your passport, you got your hunting license 
And like you said, you're kind of like, okay, well, shoot, what now? Like, I know. What were some of the biggest, you know, you kind of mentioned, oh, I don't know where deer hang out, but what were some of the biggest struggles you you kind of ran into as you were getting into this? I mean, I, I'm assuming, did you start uh, start hunting with a rifle or did you jump right into bow hunting as well? No. So the rifles, what I hunted was first, I've always had a really big interest in archery hunting, but I never had a bow. Um, so that was hard. So I just used my uncle's rifle actually for my first deer. Um, and I had another uncle who had a cabin in, um, a place called Swan Valley. Like a lot of Idaho people are know exactly where that is. And I was like, I've seen there, I've seen deer there. So I'm going to go and see if I can find anything. And so I guess like the hardest part about really all of that was just knowing where to start. Like, it's just such like kind of a hard thing to deal with. Um, I was able to get my gun and everything. And I ended up finding some does on some private property. And I was like, hey, I went up and talked to him. I was like, hey, you have some does in that field. Um, It was kind of like rolly and like uh, a little bit sagebrushy. And I was just like, do you mind if I go and get one? I'd like to get like my first deer and get some deer meat. And they're like, oh, yeah, go ahead. And I'm like, okay, great. uh, (laughs) Basically, like belly crawled like up to like the top of a hill and those does were just chilling about 300 yards out and I was able to kill my first doe right then and there and that was a super super cool experience like this thing I've been waiting for for so long like happened even though it was a doe it was with my rifle and it's so much to me because this is a start of something you know like uh, something that has always been like inside of me that I've never done until that moment which was super super incredible um and after that really just took off, I was like, okay, like I can do this. You know, I just got to freaking drive around. I got to find animals. And I also didn't, another thing that was really hard too, is I didn't know a lot of rules. I didn't know that there were winter closures. I didn't know there were units that were, you know, for specific hunts. And so I had to learn all of that. I had to get online, look at the units and their rules. And so learning all of that was also a really big thing. Like, cause obviously you don't want to make a mistake and have it freaking ruin your whole hunting career so um when I get like really passionate about something I'll do everything I can to learn everything about it whether that's the art the horses the hunting and so luckily like I had that dedication um and persistence to learn those things but it definitely wasn't easy and it definitely didn't happen overnight and I'm still learning things but yeah it's been it's been a hard but really really cool journey so That's awesome. And, you know, I think I love that story because it really breaks it down and simplifies the whole process. Like getting into hunting, you know, we talk about it all the time. We overcomplicate it so much. Like, well, shoot. Okay. Like I need to, and I mean, I fell prey to this, but also I'm a sucker for, I'm such a sucker for gear. I just love toys. But, uh, so, you know, but it's, it's really is that simple to some extent. And, you know, not everyone has necessarily access to a cabin or private property. They may not have seen deer somewhere, but to some extent it's that simple. It's like, okay, well, I have to take my hunter safety. All right. Now what do I do? It's like, okay, well, I need a weapon. Uh, I can either buy one or I can borrow one, you know? So, you know, you borrow your uncles or your friends or, you know, yeah, you maybe go to a a gun shop and buy an old used 30 six rifle, you know? Um, as long as you know how to use it, you know, it really doesn't matter. And, and then, yeah, it's that simple. You go to somewhere where you think there's going to be deer and 
you figure it out. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be this huge planned out backcountry hunt for your first hunt. Like, I don't know what kind of idiot would do something like that. Um, <laughs> I did not like if it's like paid for and guided, like I get that, but like on your own, definitely not. Like that is too high of an expectation for sure. Yeah. I mean, what kind of idiot would like go on a, a solo backcountry DIY archery elk hunt for their first hunt? I oh, mean, they would learn a lot. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, they would. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, it really is that simple and it's, you know, and I've, I've come to realize even over the past, you know, three, four years of hunting that I've, I've done, it's my simpler hunts that I find the more success, more success in, mm-hmm. or that I see more action. in. it's the times where I'm just like kind of setting up camp by my truck and yeah, I may maybe hiking in four or five miles now, but, uh, you know, I'm not hiking back in and staying there for 10 days and this and that. And I'm like, I'm taking it easy on myself and I'm, I'm, figuring out this process and uh and that's where you see i think more success uh early on is is those simple hunts and just kind of making the whole process easy on yourself so i love that story yeah it's you definitely got to start somewhere but don't freaking overdo it because chances are it probably won't go well i mean not saying it like won't but chances it probably will go a little wrong um (laughs) But yeah, you got to start somewhere and that's how I started. So, and after that, I freaking dived right in and that's when I started doing archery the year after. And that was also a very huge learning experience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It's like, I never, I never got into it. I didn't even start hunting with a rifle until this last year, really. Um, I got, I mean, I, I was a sucker. There's a sucker born every minute and I was one of them. Um, I just got, I just got roped right into the archery. Cause that's what, I mean, that's what really got me addicted was I just, I fell in love with archery hunting. I love shooting my bow. And, and so I don't know if I would have been as passionate about it if I had gotten into it with a rifle first. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to start, you know, I'm just like, I've shot plenty of rifles. I think I can do this. And so (laughs) Um, my go-to. Yeah. So are you, would you say you're, you're mainly a bow, uh, bow hunter, archery hunter now? Yeah. Most like only one, if that of my hunts every year consists of rifle and that's usually general deer, but everything else I try to hunt strictly with my bow and I want to hunt strictly with my bow. There's just something way more about it than a rifle, some way, way bigger connection or something. So, so again, then as somebody that, is self-taught a lot in a lot of this and, and you, you know, started getting into bow hunting on your own. What were some of the hurdles that you kind of came across and what were some of the things you wish you had learned maybe a lot, a lot earlier as you were learning all of this? Um, definitely like the smaller things like tuning your bow, like what arrows you should be shooting, the length, um, like the grains of your broadheads. Like I didn't know any of that when I first started, um, luckily, like I shot fine, but I was only shooting, you know, like 30, 40 yards. And that's as far as I ever wanted to shoot. Um, I didn't think I'd ever shoot further than that when I first started. I was like, oh no, that's fine. And you don't realize that, you know, animals aren't just going to come up to you that close. And <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like learning like all those specs was a process. And 
like it's been super fun to learn everything but like my first year shooting like I didn't know hardly anything and actually that first year I was with an old friend and we were chasing a bull this is September and my bow derailed and I had no idea why <laughs> I was like how do we fix this it was probably the worst days I've ever had but like I was just like I just didn't know a whole lot and so like taking care of my bow and like you know like if it derails like why derailed and how to fix it and like all these things and then also like learning ranges um and kind of like getting a muscle memory for that obviously like I'm not spot on every time but I've actually learned quite a bit through the years of shooting like how far something might be um and that's something you can't learn overnight either um so everything really is just like a long process um like also your posture and everything and like that's not like posture isn't everything but it definitely helps like repetitiveness all of that thing that goes into like shooting your bow and like trying to be the best archer you can be learning where vitals are like it's just such a broad spectrum to like learn everything when it comes to like archery bow hunting but that's just one of the reasons why it's so fun it's always a learning curve and you have to like learn to like get as close as you can to the animal which is something that's super super fun and incredible so well, I was going to say, you know, speaking of having to shoot past 30, 40 yards, you're out on your, uh, we're, we're kind of interrupting your, your pronghorn hunt right now to record this episode. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, again, speaking of animals that will not just walk right up to you and let you get very easily let you get within, uh, within 30, 40 yards. Oh gosh, antelope, you, yeah, no, there's no freaking way unless you're sitting in a blind Luckily, I'm shooting a lot further than I used to. I've been shooting my bow for, I think, three years, or shooting archery for three years. And with the time, I've learned to shoot further, and I feel more comfortable. So, like, I'm up to, like, 70, 80 is really pushing it. I probably wouldn't take that shot. But um, antelope, especially spot and stalking, are so freaking hard. Because, like, and a lot of it does depend on the terrain you're in, but I'm in like sagebrush and dirt. Like that's all it is out there. No trees, nothing else, no big rocks. It's literally just sagebrush. Um, so you're having to freaking belly crawl through like the dirt and like those thorny little bushes. Like it freaking sucks, but they, their eyesight is so dang good. You are lucky if you ever get within a hundred yards of those things, like lucky. And so just the other day I got within 80 yards of a beautiful buck. And I'm pretty sure he was a buck that I stalked two years ago. He's a lot older and a little bit digressed um, from his horn size, but he was 80 yards bedded and I was getting so close, but he freaking stood up and literally just started walking away. Even though he's 80 yards, like they are just so unpredictable. If you're not in a freaking blind, you need to be able to shoot like at least 60 yards on those things, unless you just happen to get lucky, which I have, I've gotten very lucky before. Um, I had him get out of his bed from 80 yards and freaking fed toward me at 40 turned around and I killed him. That was incredible. But being able to shoot that far, especially for pronghorn, like it's a really good thing to learn. So I feel like pronghorn is one of those things where it's like, yeah, the spot and stock, if you, if you want a challenge, like, and you want an action packed hunt and you, but you want, you want something crazy challenging. Yeah. uh, Spot and stock archery antelope is one thing. Um, 
But I definitely feel like I've seen, uh, I was on an antelope hunt in Arizona, a pronghorn hunt in Arizona with some buddies. And we, you know, we tried everything, man. Uh, we tried, we tried the spot and stock. We tried decoys. We tried ambush hunting. We tried blinds. We tried, dear Lord, anything and everything we could do. And it's just, they're, they're so flighty and it's not, and I, yeah, they're, they're jumpy and they're, they're very cautious and, and very wary, yeah. but then they're also just flighty. Like you just notice like, no, nah, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to go over to the other side of this ridge. It's like, yeah, why? <laughs> They'll be walking like super chillers walking like, oh, they are fine. Also, they just jump and they start running. They just do that little like jump run. Like, I see them do that all the time. I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? No, like, like, I'm sure you hear this everywhere, but their eyesight is so dang incredible. They see you walking 600 yards out and they're gone. Like they do not like they're gone. They don't want to deal with anything. Um, I mean, obviously that is their tactic is just running and seeing everything. But yeah, no, like they are so freaking hard to hunt sometimes. I remember, uh, one of the things we would do, uh, and we kind of perfected the tactic (laughs) was, uh, we'd be in the, we'd be in the side by like in the side by side. Cause we'd be running trails and like we'd glass all the ridges and we'd find a good spot and we'd hop out and we'd hike in. But if uh, we'd be rolling through the side by side and if we saw a good, a good herd, the guy with the tag, we'd, we'd keep the little side by side rolling and wait till we'd kind of pass behind a juniper. And he would like full on like drop out commando style <laughs> with his bow and we'd, we'd keep driving along. And so all the prong are, you know, same thing, like 600 yards away, but they're at least watching us. So he can yeah. kind of stalk in behind some of the junipers and sagebrush and like kind of hide in some of the rolls and maybe get within. And uh, the closest we ever got was using that tactic. And it was a, I swear it was like a, a that we should have been playing the Benny Hill theme music. It was like freaking clown car a bunch of idiots rolling around in arizona but it definitely have more than one person because i run into that problem all the time they're so freaking focused on the vehicle i'll be like okay it's pretty freaking flat how can i hide my truck you know (laughs) (laughs) thank goodness i'm like in a little teeny s10 so it does hide a little better than regular size pickups but I'll like find like a little dip in the hill where they can kind of not see it. And then I'll like freaking start belly crawling from there. No, but two people or more than two people definitely helps. One people just, one person gets, uh, just keeps driving while the other ones like gets out and all their focus is on the truck. And that would definitely work. And I've had tons of people tell me to try the white shirt tactic. Never tried it. I might, I might try it um this season but i've had a lot of people say like oh yeah like they'll come up right up to you i'm like okay you know like i know they're curious but it's just like the ones where i hunt i feel like they're just something else like they they hate anything that's not normal like (laughs) they're gone i know i might try it see how it works but at midway usa we know the ar-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern american history Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. I've heard the white shirt thing too. We tried it a little bit on that hunt, like... We never really invested much time in it. I think we're we're a little bit too cautious. But yeah, 
everyone was saying, all you got to do is you wave a white shirt while you're moving in or like a white, white handkerchief. And they'll just think it's a, it's another antelope's butt or something like, like, no, it's like the white flag. Like I surrender. I'm not going to hurt you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I've also, I've also heard somebody was telling me if you like set up like a, some something like bright colored like the night before so like so this is more for like blind hunting or ambush hunting mm-hmm. but if you set up something like a, a bright blue t-shirt on a stick and just put it out there like the night before and then like you know you go in you go and you hide in your blind within range of that stick they get really curious about it and will want to like go check it out as long as you're not there initially and i don't know if that's complete bs or what but this is like this is like all this stuff you hear like in the cafe, like when you you come back after a couple of days and you're sitting in like the local cafe and you're like talking with the random other dudes and they're like, oh yeah, man, what you need to do is you need to try this. It's like that kind of thing. Oh no, it's so true. And like tons of people are like, oh, try the, you know, big black Angus uh, cow decoy. And I'm like, yeah, I've actually watched some guys do that and the goats freaking hated it. They didn't even, not within a 500 yards and those animals freaking ran off. Those guys freaking take their big black cardboard box, throw it back in the pickup and drive off. I'm like, yeah, no, that didn't work. Did it? Was- <laughs> I've, I feel like too, with, with antelope, especially it's like super dependent on where they are. Like, yeah, if you're hunting public land pronghorn, like way out in the middle of the sagebrush with nothing else around. Yeah. A big black cow decoy is probably not going to do anything, but if you're hunting them in like, state land that's leased in Arizona where yeah they're basically hanging out in the middle of cattle the entire time yeah maybe it's going to work then a little bit better but I don't know yeah totally agree with that for sure because like obviously they're just not going to think anything different if you have a big black cardboard thing with a bunch of cows around like they'll probably not think any different but if it's literally only black dang cow out there and it just happens to step out of a vehicle you know it starts (laughs) walking like I mean, I don't know, but if I were that go, I'd run too. So definitely not very normal. <laughs> so, uh, so how is the hunt, uh, hunt going currently? I mean, you know, looking, I've been kind of following along with Instagram and, and looking at not the most recent picture, but the one prior to it, uh, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't seem to be successful so far. <laughs> no, it never is like, uh, like antelope hunting, it's a numbers game. Uh, especially spot and stalking. Like you just have to keep freaking stalking and then you might get that one really good opportunity. Um, But no, it's definitely, you freaking get out. It's 90 freaking degrees. You're crawling on your hands and knees and the rocks on the soil are literally burning your hands like a stove. Like it freaking hurts. And so it's basically miserable and you're stalking all these antelope that are just so hard to get close to. So it's, it's frustrating. Um, and honestly, like not the funnest most of the time, but yeah, like that picture definitely explained kind of what was going on and big thumbs down walking back through the sagebrush, you know, like that's basically what sums up my last few days hunting. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, when did, when did antelope season start this year for you? Uh, it always starts August 15th. And so in Idaho, it's uh it's an unlimited draw tag, but you still have to put in for it. So but yeah, August 15th, and then it goes to September 15th, but I'll be way past El coming here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, however fun, however fun uh, hunting pronghorn is, there, there's no way 
uh, elk season is going to be delayed by. <laughs> and it actually, it has in the past, uh, last few, few years, actually, I ended up hunting the first week of September for pronghorn um, because I'm like, ah, the rut won't be good, you know, till mid to late September. But this year I'm focusing more toward big bulls who are a lot easier to get on early season. Um, so as soon as August 30th hits, I'll be out in the elk woods, but I still have another week. I think, man, what, what's the date? Yeah. Another week or so for antelope, but in the past years, I think, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, uh, it just means you gotta, you gotta fill that elk tag really quick so you can get back to antelope before the season ends. That's how it works. Right. Yeah. And I can definitely definitely do that as well. So, um, but I think the last few years I've shot all of my antelope the first week of September because the bucks start getting a little more ready and they get a little more dumb and there's more of them. So the more antelope, the more stocks I have. So usually that's when I have my most most success is when they're starting to get a little ready and there's more bucks everywhere. That's usually when I start shooting one. So, so uh, is the is the cycle for antelope typically fairly similar to what it is for uh, for elk season as well? Kind of come early mid September they start getting really ruddy and and stupid. So antelope rut a little earlier. Um, so they're already showing signs of being ready right now. Like not a ton, but usually like, like mid to late August, they start getting ready. Um, they'll start, you know, uh, rubbing their scent glands on their face on brushes, uh, or sagebrush and they start kind of staying with does. Um, I know a lot of the younger bucks get a little pushy with those and they just think they're, you know, this big macho guy definitely will be kicked off those does soon. But what I usually notice is a buck, he'll hang out with his does you know, he's not really being ready at all, but he'll hang out with his group of does. And he might even leave them to go bed during the day and come back with them in the evenings. I've seen that a lot. But for the most part, end of August is when they really start uh, showing signs that they're getting ready. Do your do your tactics change much when you, uh, from say like mid-August, then come September, like when you see the difference, when you see them really start rutting? Or is it generally generally kind of the same for you? Um, generally the same, but I feel like ambushing is a lot easier when it's the rut. Um, unless you're like sitting water like earlier on, which I don't because there's so much water where I hunt. They can go wherever they freaking want. So for me, if I see a pronghorn like headed somewhere and I can kind of guess where they're heading, I'll try and get in front of them and ambush them. And that is also super hard when the landscape is just so open and vast. Like it's hard to point exactly where it is they're going to come from. Um, especially when you don't have somebody to glass for you and be like, Hey, the bucket or whatever is going this way. When you're by yourself, that's 10 times harder. But when the rut comes, I feel like it's a little more predictable on what they're going to do. Especially if I'm kind of watching does earlier on and seeing what they do um, at night versus the day, seeing like where they like to go spend their evenings where they like to go feed. So, and the bucks will start following them in those uh, routes. So I might do that a little differently. Uh, might sit somewhere where I know they cross a lot, but for the most part, it's spot and stalking. Like if they're bedded down, I'm after them. So. So have you ever, have you ever done much with the actual like pronghorn decoys or anything like that? You ever tried those out? Once I did last year, um, a friend of mine let me borrow one of his full body ones that you just stick into the ground. And I used that 
for a couple days and I only had one moment where uh, I had two bucks come within 40 yards but I was in the open and they literally could see me from underneath the decoy and so like when I went to drop off they obviously ran off you know like but I used a decoy once and it worked good as getting them close but I mean when it came to like them not paying attention to me anymore and getting the shot uh so it almost feels like with something like that, especially in the open terrain, you got to find that one like juniper or sagebrush or that one little feature that you can hide behind and try and best you can get that decoy set up, you know, 20 yards away where they're going to be coming in and facing a different direction. And then uh, they'll, they'll be facing a different direction and hopefully giving you that shot, paying attention to the decoy and not you. Right. Or again, that's when it would be really nice to have one other person hunting with you to either help you move the truck or, uh, <laughs> and to set up the decoy. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a lot easier when you have a second person involved, but you can still make it work if you're persistent enough, if you're by yourself. So when you are trying to, trying to select an area for antelope, what are, what are some of the features you're looking for as far as picking a spot to start glassing for pronghorn? So typically I will look for obviously lots of alfalfa fields, lots of farmer fields, um, and then plenty of water, but as well as lots of sagebrush and basically places they can go and bed in and hide. From what I've noticed, like obviously they're a plains animal, so you definitely want to look for something a little flatter, but I usually stick to finding fields because I know they're freaking suckers for those and then obviously like water tanks out in the sagebrush and you can usually go and scout around and see if there's tracks you know by tanks or whatever try to get idea but usually like how I go about it is I literally just drive um, and I've always like hunted the same spot but you can move to different areas and I'll usually just drive around and look for them like that's basically the simplest way is just driving around Maybe doing your little, like, if you've never hunted them before, do a little bit of research on where there might be a good, like, number of population. But literally just drive dirt roads, drive, you know, in the middle of nowhere, just look for them. Um, that's usually how I find most of mine. I just uh, glass for my vehicle. And if I find a ton of them, then that's when I will hunt them. But for the most part, that's how I will look for them. They're not as, per se, like, if for, like, elk and deer, like, I'd be like, oh, like, well, I would look for this up on the mountain, like the North Face, like it has good, like thick timber, you know, versus like good food for them. Like, oh, there's a spring here. So it's a little different, a lot more simple, I guess, for pronghorn, like at least where I hunt. I mean, I wouldn't know versus like, you know, hunting back east or whatever. Like, that's just how I have learned here in Idaho. So I get you. Yeah. And it's, I feel like the places where they tend to hang out are, generally a lot more accessible yeah from the road like it's they don't you know they're not they're not the animal you have to hike in mm-hmm. 10 miles and right. camp for three days to be able to find then they're exactly. the other nice thing is those white asses are oh, very wow. very visible <laughs> and they're big white bellies like they're freaking yeah they're very visible super easy to see but when they're laying in sagebrush they are very hard to find. So I'm just saying that right now. Yeah, I was gonna say when they go when they go from uh, running to bedded, or the unfortunate uh, 
unfortunate side of vice versa on that when they go from bedded to running. Um, yes. Yeah. You, you can see, you can see how they survive, but it's just, yeah, it's funny. I, you'll be driving down the road and like you said, you'll just be driving. You'll look at that hillside and it just looks like just speckled, speckled white dots of those, uh, <laughs> those bright white rear ends on yeah. those, on those pronghorn. It's a, they're a fun animal to hunt. I feel like it's, yeah. a, it's action packed. You get, yes. it's not like, you know, I mean, and, and you know, the elk elk experience is different for everyone else, but it's like with pronghorn or with elk, I mean, it feels like you go out one day and you're like, okay, I generally know where they are. I'm going to be lucky if I see a couple, you know, especially, and then, you know, who knows if you're going to see anything even worth putting a stock on that day or, or what it's going to be. But pronghorn, you're like, well, I'm lucky if I'm going to see 25 today. Um, (laughs) That is the nice thing about antelope is like, if you blow one stock, you can just go to another. Like, like you said, it's like more action packed really than anything else versus if you're, you know, hunting mule deer with your bow, you do one stock and that, you know, like it's done. Like, well, there's nothing else I can really stock. Everything else is a dink or whatever. But with pronghorn, you literally just drive around and keep finding them and keep stocking them. Like all usually like, on a daily basis, do three to five stocks a day. Maybe more if I get lucky, but that's usually average. And I just keep doing that every day, and it's a numbers game. Finally, the opportunity will show up. But So maybe not necessarily with a bow, but would you say that, that pronghorn would be a good option for someone that's just learning to hunt? Maybe, you know, they take their rifle out because, because the population, I mean, they're visible, easy to find. There's tends to be a lot of them and it gives you lots of opportunities to stock in. Would you say that would be a good, good hunt for someone just getting into it? Um, if you're willing to shoot like over 200 yards, I'd say yes. Um, most of the times though, like if I were ever in a rifle situation with antelope, I'd be shooting probably four to 500 yards or more. So if they were like comfortable shooting that far, like totally. Also another thing is like, we don't have over the counter rifle tags in Idaho. I don't know what it is for other States, but it's all a draw tag. So if it came down to like what you should hunt versus like a beginner, I would say deer with rifle um, or elk with a rifle, but pronghorn, um, you would have to draw. But yeah, if you, if you could shoot far, like totally, like they'd be, they'd be pretty easy. So. Okay. Well, and you know, I think it's, I think just within any situation, it's super critical as always knowing your, knowing your capabilities, knowing how far you can shoot and that will that will determine the hunts you choose to go on and the situations you can put yourself in. Right. And like, you could totally get closer to like, if you put in a little more effort, um, like if you're a beginner and we're like, really like, Oh yeah, I want to stalk them and all that stuff. You could totally get a lot closer, but if you're going to hunt out of a vehicle, like nah, but no, totally. So the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So... Switching gears a little bit, I would love for you to get a chance to talk about your art a little bit. Yeah. Kind of, uh, you know, you uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you 
you did all of this before before you got into hunting, but then as you started getting into that, it it really the focus of your art changed. Yeah. So, like I said, like while it back, um, I've been drawing since I was really really little, and since I loved horses, I obviously drew horses all the time. You know, crazy horse girl. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, but I always really loved drawing wildlife like elk and deer. Um, my family owns a cabin in West Yellowstone. So I always grew up seeing elk all the time. And I've always had a huge connection with elk. I think they're just such beautiful creatures, the sounds they make. Um, I've always been a huge guru, uh, guru for them. So I started drawing wildlife, um, probably like in my teens, my young teens, Um, and then really almost like switched all of my artwork to wildlife when I turned about 16 or 17. And that's because my passion for hunting was just like going, like getting so big. So when I started uh, switching, I started getting opportunities like with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and whatnot, which was really, really cool. But yeah, like I still draw like ever, like a lot of other things, but for the most part, like my actual like main subject is usually wildlife now. And I love it. So. Well, and you know, talking about way back in the day again, uh, (laughs) you know, years ago when I did, I remember I did a, a really, that was a pretty sweet giveaway when I did that, you know, a few years ago, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff involved in that. I mean, shoot, there was, there was memberships, there was supplements, there was uh, calls, there was all kinds of stuff, including a uh, Lydia Smith art print. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a funny enough. Um, the guy who, who won that Mike Hale uh, had him on the podcast recently and I had completely forgotten, you know, I talked to him all the time. He's a good buddy. And I'd completely forgotten that that's how we initially started talking was he was the one that won that competition. But, uh, and so, um, you know, talking about being the crazy horse girl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One, I think, I think we all knew, I don't care where you grew up or like what school you went to. I think as a kid in school, we all knew that one crazy horse girl that would sit and draw pictures of horses on all her notebooks and on every sheet of paper. She had. <laughs> yeah, that kind of sums me up, I guess. I definitely wasn't like, I wasn't like extremely crazy though. Like I didn't have like a horse binder or a horse backpack. Like right, I just straight right. all it was, I didn't freaking jump around on four legs nanging. Like I wasn't that crazy. So. <laughs> Oh, but, um, but you, uh, also one of the big things you do is you spend a lot of time hunting from horseback, correct? So I have done it a few times. Um, one thing that's a little tricky is my, my, uh, truck had broke down on me a while ago. So I haven't been able to take him out as much, but my second year elk hunting, I took my horse out, just me and my horse. And we went out and camped for a few days in the elk woods. And that was such a cool time. Like absolutely awesome. Um, and I've taken him out a few other times, but this year I plan on using him a lot more again at elk camp and for my, my, uh, draw deer tag this year, which I'm super excited for. Um, and I'm trying to get myself another one. I want to start packing more. Um, that's just definitely like a big passion I've had as well. Is just hunting off horseback, you know, riding in. It's just so fun and I love it. But yeah, with my, I just have my one right now and I got him, um, 
quite a few years ago, I think, back in Fetch, when was it? I think I got him in 2015. So it's been five years. Um, and he was a wild Mustang that I actually trained. He came oh, wow. out of Nevada. Yeah. And so he had no human touch besides being put in, you know, those squeeze shoots and being branded and warmed and everything like that. But, but yeah, so he was super, super fun to train. And I actually competed with him for a thing called the Extreme Mustang Makeover, which was super, super cool. And he's been the best horse I've ever owned. And so uh, him and I will often go out uh, trying to hunt or scouting or just trail rides. But I definitely want to do more of that um, this year, especially. So so I mean the I feel like the positives for for hunting from horseback are are pretty clear. Obviously, you know, you can ride your horse in, you're not you're not hiking as much. They can help you pack gear, you can take a little more stuff with you. They can help you pack out. What are some of the the difficulties or negatives you you've kind of seen from hunting with your horse? It's definitely like a little bit more stress, I think just because you're having to like make sure you have water and food for the animal and they're a big animal. So you can't just be like, Oh, like here's, you know, five pounds of hay and be happy with it. They got to eat a ton. So you have to almost hunt in a place where it's good for your horse, which can limit you. Also the trailering and just like, there's so much more gear. Um, so it is kind of a bit more of a hassle. Um, and that's what I would see is like a negative side of things. And then also there's lots of places of course can't go. Like if you shoot a freaking elk, like way up here or whatever, they can't go through like that rock face you had to go through and you're still going to, you're still going to have to pack your elk. Obviously like in the end, it's going to be a lot nicer. You know, if you're five miles in or whatever, and your horse gets to pack out all that, the five miles, which is really nice. But I would say there's for the negatives, it's a lot more of a hassle there's a little bit more stress involved just because you never know what's going to happen with horses they're big animals they do stupid stuff sometimes but yeah i guess those those things right there is what i'd say is like the most negative about it i feel like it definitely is you know you're you're hunting on your own you're bivy hunting whatever it is it's like you know you can effectively pick up camp and just move immediately and and drop camp where you want to camp for the night and not really have to worry about it as much but yeah, with the horse, you can bring in a nicer camp, but it feels like it's a more, once you, once you pick your spot, you're a little more locked down to that spot. Like, like I said, it's just a hassle, you know, to freaking put everything in the pack saddles or the panniers or whatever, you know, unload it. And then if you want to move again, throw it all in. Yeah, it's just a lot more of a hassle, a hassle. And horses, like I said, they can be really stupid. And I actually had an instance um, a few years ago where I was scouting with my horse and I was walking her because it was pretty snowy and she was she was your typical mare she was a brat and she took off from me and she ended up trying to jump jump like this ravine like this draw like on this side hill and it was really deep like five inches five feet of snow like plus like super deep so when her first uh two front legs hit that snow her momentum actually carried her to where her head uh. or her heels went over red basically she flipped over like she rolled three times or four times down the freaking ravine in the snow and then ended up on her back belly up and she was stuck in like this hole and i was like you gotta be kidding i was by myself like i was freaking out i was like you know like i think i was fetched like 18 or something at the time 19 and uh, that was such a traumatic experience. I freaking, 
undid her saddle and I was like, oh. you got to get out of that freaking hole. And she wouldn't move. She like just gave up. I was like, it was horrible. I was hitting her, pulling her head. He was like, come on, just get up. And she literally sat there on her belly for like 20 minutes. And, uh, I like, finally, I was just like bawling and screaming. I was like, you just get up. I was freaking cussing, you know, I was absolutely pissed. And, uh, finally she somehow freaking was able to flip herself over and like jump. And she like, jumped down the ravine a little further where it was like a little less snow and she ended up busting my rifle in the process so my uh, gun that was in the completely broke in half um and anyways i like and i don't know how she didn't break her leg either because that hole she kind of fell in had a bunch of logs and sticks crisscrossing so that was a miracle but uh i couldn't get her out like it was so steep on both sides couldn't get her out i tried my best i had to leave her there overnight i hiked out freaking called my mom and dad i was like I need help. And so uh, the next morning, my cousins and some of my uncles and my dad, they all came up with hand saws and uh, those like small like chainsaws and everything and shovels. And we literally cut her out and dug her a trail. Like it was insane. And I was freaking out too because there's cougars and bears there. And so I was like, my horse is going to be freaking dead like in the morning. Yeah. You know, luckily she was okay. We get up there, she's shaking to death, her, you know, bleeding down the leg. But like horses are unpredictable. Like you do not know what's going to happen. So you got to be prepared for like the worst when you have horses. Um, yeah. <laughs> I feel, yeah, I feel like there, there's a lot of, a lot of benefits, but yeah, there's certainly quite a bit of, uh, <laughs> yeah it, it, it kind of keeps you on edge a little bit yeah that's why a lot of people don't hunt with horses or they like know someone with horses so when they do kill something they're like hey bring your horses <laughs> like I'll like, you know elk or whatever so you don't have to deal with everything else but uh but yeah they can be it can be a rodeo a lot with them but i love them so i mean if you love them you deal with it but <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at the picture is uh, would your, would your mare, would it, uh, she be considered a red mare or. So that is my Mustang. So oh, okay. the horse I'm talking about was actually, I should have specified. She was a mare I had before him. Um, but he, he's a sorrel. That's what you'd call that. Okay. Okay. I'm still yeah. learning the horse stuff. I got some horse friends and they're probably rolling their, rolling their eyes at me. <laughs> and I, I only ask because after that story, I was, wasn't sure. And I've heard, I've heard my horse friends talk a lot about red mares and, oh. uh, <laughs> yeah, just like headed people, you know, like a little temperamental. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've heard the phrase hell bitch used often, yes. um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, as we're, as we're kind of winding down, one thing I always like to ask, and, and I would love your perspective on this because as a self-taught hunter, someone that didn't like grow up with mom and dad, you know, taking them out into the woods, uh, hunting every weekend. Um, say somebody, say you're talking to someone, they're at an expo and they're like, Hey, you know, I came out to this thing. Like, I really want to, I really want to get into hunting. You know, maybe there's some weird dude from California that start, just started a podcast or something. Um, <laughs> but you know, say you run into someone and they're like, you know, I really want to get into hunting, but there's just, I don't know. There's just so much to learn. I don't know if it's something I can do. What would you, what would you say to that person? What like words of encouragement or advice would you give them? So I would be like, you know, just don't be scared. I guess like there's nothing to be scared about. Um, and don't worry about freaking 
doing 100% your first time out. Like, you got to start small, just like I did. It doesn't have to be this huge, you know, extravagant thing. Like, if you don't know where to start, it's okay. Ask. Asking people is such a huge thing. Um, doing your research. Like, you just got to start by doing those small things, and it will lead up to something greater. Um, and if you are passionate about something, you will find a way. But I would just say, you know, be really confident. Be dedicated. Um because if you have those things, like you'll get to where you want to go. You're just going to have to take small steps sometimes. And that's totally fine. Like one problem I see in this hunting industry is people try to come off as perfect. And I hate that because hunting is so far from perfect. Like, I don't care who you are, what your name is, like how many animals you've killed. Everyone has made a freaking mistake hunting. Um, and you got to accept that mistakes are okay because you learn from them. And so I know so many people who are scared or whatever, because they don't want to be like, oh, well, like, I'm not that good of a shot. Like, oh, I messed up on this deer, you know, whatever. It's like, it's fine. It happens. Obviously, we don't want that to happen, but that's how we grow and learn. So I would say, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Have that dedication. Take little steps. And if you need the help, ask for it. Like people are going to be so willing to help, especially in this industry. I feel like it's very like close knit and people are very like family oriented almost. Um, it's like a big family. And so if you just want help from someone, ask and they'll help you. Um, and that's, that's probably what I would tell somebody who was trying to get into it and didn't really know where to start. Um, and just be confident and, and go for it. So. Awesome. Well, if folks wanted to follow along with the hunting and the artwork, where can they, uh, where can they find you online? Um, so I do have my website. It's just LydiaSmithArt.com. And then on Instagram, LydiaSmith00. And I'm trying to transition my art to my personal as well. Um, I do have just strictly my art account, which is Lydia underscore Smith underscore art. Um, but for the most part, if you want to follow along with everything in one, I would go to my personal. So Sounds good. Well, I will make sure to link to those on the show notes page. That's going to be thewildinitiative.com slash 162. Lydia, thanks so much for uh, hopping on the line. It was a lot of fun to catch up. It was. It was for sure. Hope we can do it again sometime. So <laughs> Definitely. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page for everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.